0: Good
1: afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, and that means it's time for our crack strategy panel. There's a lot happening on all levels of government. The Prime Minister is in Africa, drumming up support for a temporary seat on the UN Security Council. There are developments in both the Conservative and the Ontario Liberal leadership races. On the municipal front, the city's outside workers could be on strike or locked out as early as February 27th. Would that take the shine off John Tory's mayoral, mayoralty? The numbers to call, 416 toll-free 866 740 I'd like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Adrian Batra, Editor-in-Chief of the Toronto Sun, and Charles Bird, Managing Partner and Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Welcome. Great to be here. Hi there. Hello. Okay, so let's begin with Trudeau in Africa with Raptors President Masai Ujiri in tow. Former Conservative Cabinet Minister John Baird is not impressed.
0: What's going to be on everyone's mind is blackface, and uh, that'll make it incredibly difficult to uh, obtain, uh, obtain support in that continent.
1: Okay. Do you, do you agree, uh, with that criticism or, uh, is he going to get some of the reflected glory of Messiah Ujiri, Adrian? <laughs> I joked yesterday in my newsroom that we should call
2: this the despots and dictators tour for Justin Trudeau. Well, I, I think John Baird makes an interesting point. I just think that when it comes to Justin Trudeau's penchant to wear blackface, um, I think others that he's m- meeting are a little more respectful and won't necessarily. Maybe they'll talk about it behind the scenes. I don't think that there will be a story that emerges from it. It would be interesting if they if there is. But um, I think what The prime minister is attempting to do in terms of getting this U.N. Security Council seat, which is temporary. I think a vast majority of Canadians understand that, you know, we need to be good global citizens. We need to be good partners around the world and look for economic opportunities. But are these the right ones? And that's the question mark we are giving a lot away in order to receive very little on the other end in terms of, you know, support at the, um for, for a UN council seat, security council seat. So I, I just think that this is um, yet another attempt by Justin Trudeau to leave the country. He's, he's far more appreciated and loved outside of the Canadian borders. Um, and and that's often what politicians do when
1: they feel a little bit of pressure at home. Charles Byrd, uh, you know, we thought, in this second term of his, he's going to be less celebrity-like. Uh, does does taking a trip with Masai Ujiri, the Raptors hero and the hero son of Africa, uh, is is that part of the plan?
3: Well, I mean. Sayajiri Jiri is uh, a noted humanitarian who has done a lot of development work in Africa. He's uh, a symbol of a lot of the great things about uh, Toronto, about Canada, and I think it makes perfect sense for him to accompany the Prime Minister, just given what a, a symbol of hope and pride he is to uh, Africans and especially African young people. As for... John Barrett, it sounds like a gratuitous shot from somebody who may or may not be running for the Conservative leadership of Canada. My my sense is that he won't run. I think there's just too much there that uh, would... Prove problematic, as my friend John might say.
1: Okay, well, we were just about to get to that, but I'll, I'll give John a chance to weigh in on the Trudeau trip. I mean, you know, obviously the the main criticism is. Uh, I'm trying to think of a more diplomatic word than sucking up <laughs> to no, dictators and human one. rights abusers <laughs> to get this seat.
4: Well, I think it was hugely risked It was a huge risk for the prime minister to do this, and I think you know, obviously, the, the, some smart people decided that if he's going to do this, then bring a Masai with him is probably the smartest thing to do because obviously that will deflect a lot of the attention that might have otherwise been negative towards the prime minister because Masais are with him and, and given the fact that he's so revered, uh, Masai is and some of the African uh, countries and, and uh, in Toronto uh, too. Well, <laughs> in Toronto too, of course, but but certainly there, I think that that what John Bair was mentioning with respect to blackface, um, you know, is not to be taken lightly in the sense that you know it is the first trip that he made internationally since he's become prime minister since the issue of, of the controversy that. that that, that as um, that had caused him so much problem, um, but again, I think that he's trying to do this in a sense that to, to to get some deflection away. Having Masai there was probably the smartest thing he can do to sort of make sure that that's the focus and not so much that or some of the negativity that that comes with the trip.
1: Okay, well, while we have you on the mic. Uh there's word, I don't know if it's a trial balloon, that John Baird might be running. Charles just said that he thinks there's too much baggage there.
4: Well, listen, if you've been in politics as long as any of them have, there's always going to be some baggage attached to them. And, and uh, you know, in the minute you sort of stick your head out, uh, as we saw Peter McKay do with, with the federal leadership, and of course everybody's mentioning some of the stuff that he did when he was a cabinet minister, um, John Baird is is somebody who is a formidable uh, candidate. I've known John since we were both in youth politics. He was the president of the OPCYA, the youth wing, uh, two years before I was. Um, and um, so we've known each other that long. But he is somebody that uh, is to be taken seriously. Um, everybody mentions his name, even before uh, the, the shakeup that happened over the over the last little while with respect to Rona Ambrose saying no, Jean Shrey saying no, and Pierre Palvez saying no, all three of them being top-notch candidates. Um, so it leaves the race a little bit more opening open for Peter McKay. So, of course, there's people who might not be happy with Peter or Aaron O'Toole, who are now going to John Baird saying, look, you can do this. You've got the profile. You've got the uh, um, the, the, the ability to be able to do this. But I think what John has to realize is that, you know, does he have the fire in his belly to do this? You know, is it a pilot light or is it a burning desire to do this? Mm-hmm. Because it is a six-month less now uh, process, and it's going to be literally, if he decides to do this, he's going to be up and running for the next uh, number of months in a big way.
1: Adrian, uh, he did that listening tour after the last election to find out, what went wrong? We didn't see all of those results, and that should give him an advantage. I believe that one of them is that uh, you can't be conservative light. Mm-hmm. You've got to be uh, conservative heavy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that... Conservatives in Canada can look around other parts of the world where, if you do run a conservative campaign or conservative uh, platform, um, you you very much can win, and you can um, have enough support from the public to to get on board with your policies. But I will just say this unequivocally: John Baird's not running, and regardless of if it's um, you know previous comments or statements that he's made as a cabinet minister or whatever. He is enjoying a very successful career in the private sector. And John's right. You need just such a fire and such a passion that, um, that though I think Mr. Baird still believes that in, in terms of the conservative party and in mm-hmm. conservative politics. But maybe not quite enough to be the leader of that. Going back to all those church basements, going and, um, you know, going on yet another listening tour. I think that he's just enjoy and he, um, has a, a great deal amount of success in the private sector right now. It would be a very, very hard pull to get him back, regardless of if there is some consternation about, um, the current, uh, front runners of Peter O'Toole, uh, uh, Aaron O'Toole and Peter McKay.
1: Well, Right now, it looks like Peter McKay is the front runner, despite some missteps last week. Is that something liberals are cheering about? Is he a threat? Charles?
3: I think it's, uh, I think you regard every opponent as a threat. I mean, some politicians have, uh, political baggage. John, uh, John Baird has matching luggage. I mean, <laughs> y- you take the recent attack on the prime minister and the gratuitous blackface comment. I mean, two years ago when the Canadian government was standing up for the, for the human rights of an individual imprisoned in Saudi Arabia, uh, John Barrett appeared on Saudi TV to decry the Canadian government and demand that the Prime Minister make his way to Riyadh to apologize. And it only later came out that he was actually working on behalf of a mining company with uh, prominent interests in Saudi Arabia. That's just the, the epitome of a hypocrisy. And I think John Barrett has a lot of that in his past.
2: Well, I don't think that Liberals really have any moral authority when it comes to hypocrisy and, and government <laughs> these days. But, but Charles's point is important because one of the reasons that John Charest mm. got bit in the you know what is because of Huawei He's I mean, you know, coming out and supporting, um, you know, the, the Chinese entity of Huawei. And and that is an unhelpful narrative on the campaign trail.
4: Well, and it just speaks to the whole issue of, of, again, baggage, right? You've been in politics as long as any of these name, names that we've mentioned, John Charest and, and uh, you know, John Baird and, and Peter McKay, you're going to have some level of, of controversy attached to it in some way, shape, or form. But I think more importantly, the reason why I think Peter McKay is going to be a threat to this Prime Minister is because Peter McKay is known, uh, is liked by a lot of Canadians, um, has had a very successful career in politics, was a leader of a party, uh, merged to, to create what is now known as the Conservative Party of, of Canada, um, and I think that he has been a loyal soldier for the last number of years as a, as a, as a cabinet minister, allowed Stephen Harper to be the prime minister, supported him, uh, left uh, to, to, to build his own career, to build a family. And now he's coming back in at a time when I think he is stronger. He is going to be much more uh, effective as a leader. And I think the prime minister will have a threat if, uh, if and when uh, uh, Peter, uh, Peter McKay becomes the, uh, the leader.
1: Yeah, I hope he cleans up, uh, the stuff with his staffers. Yeah. yeah. And, and
2: I think, you know, I mean, all of us around the table have been in run a or been somehow involved in the political, uh, the partisan part of politics. And these are missteps and hiccups that, uh, no one's really paying attention to because they haven't really got out of the gate yet. There hasn't been a debate. There hasn't, no, not everybody's in the race. Um, so this is his chance to sort of. Get those cobwebs out and sort of and deal with it. And I think for the most part they have. Uh, I mean, I suppose it is the downside of him having been out for for some time. You sort of forget certain parts of those machinations. And frankly, it's a different world in which um, Peter McKay is running in now than exactly. the last time
1: he ran for office. Yeah, yeah so. It, it, is anyone else likely to jump in? I mean, is it going to be boring if it's basically McKay and O'Toole? And we have Marilyn Gladew, who everybody says is underrated, but... But still, she's not, she's really not known.
3: And I understand that John Williamson, who's a fairly well-known conservative MP from New Brunswick, has decided against running. And and Williamson would have been, I think, the only truly bilingual candidate in the race, with the exception of uh, Richard de Carie, who, of course, has some uh, interesting opinions on. um, (laughs)
0: Let's
3: just leave it at that. Um, But obviously, the, the big issue really comes down to the ability to speak French and how important that is for Canadians. Uh, in terms of the ability of their Prime Minister to speak um, both official languages. And and that is a potentially a big problem for the Conservatives in Quebec going forward. I think Stephen Harper set the sort of the minimum bar for proficiency in French for a Prime Minister. And, you know, I've heard some Conservative friends say, well, there have been other Prime Ministers who didn't speak French yet, like Mackenzie King and Robert Borden going back uh, 75 years. But I'm not sure that cuts it in today's day and age.
2: There's also Dr. Leslin Lewis. She's a, she's a lawyer, she's conservative, been and, uh, in the party for some time, I believe, and she's a black woman. And that is sort of. You know, antithetical to what everybody thinks of what a conservative, a modern conservative party should um, have um, in in terms of their big tent. Uh, though I, I mean, I, I, she's unknown. No people don't know who she really is in in within the party circles because that's really what matters. Libby is is the party right now because those are the ones that will elect this. Uh, the individuals will elect the leader. But uh, I think a face and a voice like hers at the table is important as as the uh, the, the conservative party moves forward into a potentially general election In a year and a
4: half, and, and I wouldn't rule any of them out. Quite frankly, I think to, to Adrian's point with respect to Dr. Leslie Lewin, who's got a team that she's building now, and somebody that uh, that I've met with, uh, or I've met politically over the course of the last little while. But um, you know, as we saw in the states, you know, you got Peter, Peter Buttigieg, who nobody knew and had to pronounce his name, you know, a year ago, who's now leading, uh, except in it, you know, Iowa, it's and a might very be, it might be, but the point arcane is, arcane system. Well, it is in that respect. But I think the the point is that don't ever underestimate or count anybody out at, at this stage. Because it's a long, it's a process that's short. There's a lot of folks who do want to see some change, and there's an opportunity for some of these lesser-known individuals, like Marilyn Gladue, who, in her own right, is an MP and has, has played a very strong role as um, in the backbenches. Um, but also others who might 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 shake things up. But I do think that. that Peter, in a short race, name recognition does work and does help. And having a team organized across the country who can actually sign up members and in, in writings across the country is going to be pivotal, given the fact that we're going to be in an election in June, a leadership election in okay. June.
1: OK, so given the fact that it's the party that counts, we had the delegate – meeting for the liberals the ontario liberals over the weekend now before that we knew stephen del duca the former transport minister was way ahead he's still way ahead and keeping such a low profile possibly hiding well between (laughs)
4: him and the ndp of ontario i don't know which one is actually lower lower profile (laughs) uh
1: why is that charles and you know is is this a snoozer does he basically just have it all sewn up
3: uh, I should say, by way of transparency, that I am a Del Duca supporter and uh, voted for him on Sunday in my home riding. And yes, he does have it all sewn up. You um, <laughs> no he heard it here first. Yeah, it's, what, a, what a shock. Um, he, has News a break. Depth, he has a depth of knowledge of the party dating back to, like, we first met as teenagers, which is, given my age, not a, not good. Um, but uh, he has been dedicated to uh, the party, both provincially and federally. He was one of the most astute cabinet ministers at the table. Uh, He knew the briefs of other ministers better than they did. He is intensely hardworking. Now, is he... Brad Pitt? Like, does he look in a mirror and see Brad Pitt? (laughs) Man, there's probably a little bit of work to be done.
1: He's got the uh, Kathleen Wynne taint for sure. Mm
3: -hmm. Um, That is fading surprisingly quickly given the current government. And uh, I think by the time of the next election, uh, we'll have a whole different set of issues on the table. But I I think Stephen is precisely what the Ontario Liberal Party needs right now. I mean, there's no doubt we took a shellacking in 2018. There's a significant amount of rebuilding that has to happen. ton of fundraising um, and he is by far, best position to, to lead efforts in those regards.
1: So, so why why is he hiding now? Why isn't he trying to?
4: Well, I'm not sure it's intentional. I think he actually wants the pro- the profile. I think he's trying to get himself, uh, you know, mentioned. He every once in a while, when there's a policy decision that the premier makes, you can see Stephen Del Duca trying to get into the media to say something, but it's just not getting any carriage. Um, but look, I've known Stephen Del Duca for a long, long time, and and uh, I, I I'm fond of him. I think he's a great a great guy. I'm just not sure how he's going to play against a Doug Ford or his leader the Liberal Party. And I also think that it actually probably does a disservice to the Liberal Party um, to have this kind of a coronation when they actually need to have mm-hmm. uh, and they've got a delegated convention system unlike the Conservatives, both federally and provincially where we have one member, one vote, which can be a very boring process. Uh, they have a delegated system which does create some level of excitement in the media, but when you have this kind of a coronation, you lose that kind of media zap that they would otherwise need or would, have, would have want to have uh, in March.
1: And it's, it's to me, interesting because unlike the conservatives, the other people, some of the other people running against him, are they're just as known as he is. They were also cabinet ministers. In yeah, the like Missy Hunter comes to yeah. mind, for
4: example. Yeah. Yeah. And Cordu. Yeah, Cordu. But,
1: um, but, um, but, but I think, you know, on the
2: point of um, Del Duca not getting... Perhaps the the high profile, the media profile, whatever. I mean, I ran an op ed in our in the Toronto Sun from him the other day on a, on a policy matter that the Ford government was putting forward. It's tough to get coverage as the leader of the third party or as someone running to be leader of the third party, frankly. And regardless of um, his his uh, tenure as the transportation minister, he still has to go back, and Ontarians need to know who he is. Generally, um, it's very it's very rare when someone knows a cabinet minister's name. They're going to know Caroline Mulroney because of her last name, and they're going to know Doug Ford. It. They're the premier they knew Kathleen Wynn and maybe a one or two other cabinet ministers there's no very... Stephen Lecce. well, they do now because I mean that's yeah. when someone is day after day and um and affecting their own personal life um Mr del Duca is going to be uh given this opportunity to to help grow the the liberal Party and they'll make a fine uh, opposition party come twenty twenty two
3: <laughs> yeah, okay. the last time i heard that said was about justin trudeau in opposition and we all know how that ended up
2: yet another coronation for the liberals you know in terms yeah, of leadership a
3: good, a good role model going forward
1: okay well let's talk about doug ford uh by the way those polls uh showing that the leaderless liberals are ahead of the ford conservatives i don't know if that, those are still concerning but you know this education strike is is dragging on
4: well i've always mentioned this, and even on this show a couple of times libby where i've mentioned that it's going to be a, a question of public opinion that's going to cause this. I think the, the Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, has been doing a phenomenal job in getting out there on a regular basis against a lot of union money, a lot of union ads, a lot of misinformation about, about what their intent is and what they're trying to do. Um, and what's being who's being hurt are the teachers who generally want to do their job and want to do their, want to do their work for their kids, and of course parents who now have to deal, to deal with this kind of stuff. Um, but I think that if this comes down to, which I believe it is, which is the 1% and in, in pay raise and pay hikes, that's going to turn against the unions in a big way over the course of the last little while. We've seen the government, we've seen the minister back down on things like e-learning and on class sizes uh, as a way to, s- to sort of give the unions a sense of saying, okay, look, it, we're going to back down on some of these things, but we're not going to move on the 1% because they can't move on the 1%. And I think once that becomes apparent to to the public that it be- it's, it's because of salaries, it's because of that, I think they're going to start losing the traction.
1: Well, yesterday there was a poll that showed the government Losing ground. Uh, today, there's a poll that looks like it was based on the same sample that basically says parents are on side with teachers in terms of the class sizes and e-learning, which the government has backed down on, but not all the way, but not on 1%. Interesting, I, I had Harvey Bischoff on the show yesterday. And I said, so so why wouldn't you just say, okay, we'll go for the 1%. But as long as you back off on this, and you know, fair enough, he said, the place to do that is at the bargaining table, mm. not not on the air with Libby
4: Snyder. Well, or his ads, how about that? Yeah. How about his ads.
1: Then come back to the table,
4: Harvey. Yeah.
2: I think that this is a this is going to be an interesting period of time both for the union and the government side because it's a matter of how much families are willing to take in Ontario. And you know, you you get a Ford government for a reason. You know, it's a reaction to, you know, 15 years of of liberal governments and and things that they did. I think the challenge for the Ford government is they have even though they've got probably their best communicator on this file with respect to Minister Lecce, they still aren't getting their message out that about the cuts. Right. The cuts hurt kids. That campaign has really pierced through the public for the union in their favor. So who's willing to blink first? It's going to be a calculation of what how much political damage the Ford government is willing to take and at what point to John's um, uh, observation about when the tide sort of turns, if it turns at all. Maybe a deal can get done within a week. We'll see. But who's willing to blink first is what's going to happen here.
1: Uh, Charles, and of course, always with the proviso 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 of Of your extended family of teachers. Six.
3: Six in-laws. Like, how did that happen? (laughs) Um, So the government has a wolf by the ears. And the problem is that as much as they might want to let go... They know the alternative is in letting go could be even worse. And I was really struck by uh, the poll that appeared yesterday uh, in a rival publication to Adrian's, mm-hmm. um, which was done by Nick Kuvallas at uh, Campaign Research, noted conservative pollster. And it showed that 51% of respondents, and it was a huge sample, over 1,500 people, 51% of respondents in that poll felt that Doug Ford was doing a poor job in handling the teacher strike which says to me that the premier's office has a five alarm fire on their hands and they know it. Uh, I noticed the legislature is returning early next week uh, for the first time in a long time. I think the the government may decide the best bet is to is to legislate them back to work, which of course opens the door to arbitration and the possibility of uh, of a, a settlement that's larger than the one percent that's on offer now. But the only other thing I would likely say...
1: likely arbitrated settlements usually end up more expensive. Exactly.
3: Exactly. The other thing I'd mentioned, though, and this is this is something that's on the table and is proving a real sticking point. And and it'll be interesting to see if it if it actually gains any traction with Ontarians and with parents is the whole notion of merit and the whole notion of a school board being able to hire teachers on the basis of merit as opposed to on the basis of seniority and that's that's a long standing um, issue that at some point we're going to have to we're going to have to come to ground on it.
1: Okay, so here's the interesting thing on this that apparently a sticking point and and the elementary school teacher says you know what we nearly had a deal except we're not moving on this seniority provision that only came in in 2012 now even here on this show i get calls all the time when education comes up saying you know young people presumably people in the families of the people who are calling can't Get a foot in the door because of this rule, even for supply teaching or long term thing. I put it to Harvey Bischoff yesterday and he said that rule is misunderstood. And, and really it's to prevent nepotism, which was a problem apparently in the Catholic system and, and really the best person the the school boards can always put the best person that's in not
2: the merit's at not all. nepotism no
4: no and that's <laughs> that's, that's, that's absolutely ridiculous. right and i think that and it's also a question of of not him ticking off his union members at the end of the day but uh, it should be always based on merit it should be the best teacher uh the school board should have the power to be able to put the best teacher in the best places that
1: merit i mean the any shop with a union has to deal with seniority not merit exactly Yeah. I mean,
2: I have a union shop at my newspaper and we're dealing, we deal with that on a a regular basis. Every
1: business that has a union, that's just the way it is.
3: There is an old saying that says that experience is the best teacher. And in this case, um, Teachers with experience are worth their weight in gold. And I think uh, that's certainly been my experience uh, with my children going through the public school system. But, but not all the case, and, though. I and think, so, Merit, hmm. you have to be very careful, if you're the government, especially now, overplaying the merit card. Because it is, it, it's a double-edged sword. And frankly, it doesn't alleviate what is the government's immediate problem, which is that the premier is wearing the teacher strike.
2: I'd agree with that notion in terms of really hammering down on that point but it's a relatable one to anybody, any parent, anybody out there that is working. They understand that merit no, the notion of merit and also how their kids learn, you know, those that are coming through teachers college, uh, they have, um, you know, newer styles, newer techniques. And it's not dissimilar to really any other uh, public union Profession. yeah. and, and professions, you know, nurses, for example. I mean, this is it's a very, uh, it's a challenging issue for, for most um, governments to deal with that merit-based issue. The unions will never give that
4: up. Yeah, it should be about a balance. It's not to say that that seniority is a a bad thing, but it should be about balance, because there's a lot of Go to the table! Well, but that's (laughs) the the thing, and uh, the the, the minister's been saying that for the last number of weeks, come back to the table and let's have a discussion. Well,
1: then they can't even agree about who's not going to the table, and and frankly, I don't know who to believe on that. Uh, I just want to uh, touch on, I mean, this is, you know, I don't know how many more strat panels we're going to devote to this strike, but I think you're, you're right. The premier is wearing this, and uh, that's, uh, that's not good for him. Uh, so, let's. It's a fair
3: me- question. Why is that? I mean, you know, Le- Minister Lecce has been front and center in the same campaign research f- poll found, I think, high 20s, low 30s. Found that Lecce was doing a poor job, so much better performance than
2: than the premier. And that because it's the Ford surprising. government, not the Lecce government. It doesn't. Well, that's matter. it. I mean, it's, I mean that's but, it. Period. But all but stop. That, it it's like Kathleen Wynne, Wynne it, McGinty wore it. Dalton McGuinty wore it. There are many scandals. The
1: premier wears it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's it exactly. just the
1: way it is. Okay, actually, here we can we can go on a few minutes longer. Uh, Ron and Guelph wants to talk about the teachers. Hi, Ron.
3: Hi there. Um, yeah, I just saw a poll. I'm sure you saw it as well in the Toronto Star where it looks like the tide is starting to turn, where at one time, the uh, I guess the teachers and the unions thought that the public was always on their side. Well, eh, I guess that's not the, the way it's turning out now, where the um, the public is concerned about a bigger uh, class sizes, but they're certainly not believing
4: that the teachers deserve the raise that they're asking mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's what we were t- talking about as well, Ron, with respect to, you know, if this becomes an issue of pay and pay raise and, and, and salary, uh, I think the teachers and the unions more particularly will lose on that battle because I think, I think parents and, and, and Ontarians understand that. But if it becomes a cla- question of class sizes or e-learning, uh, and which is why I think we saw the government back down on some of those and, and cut down the e-learning classes to two from four uh, and also the class sizes.
2: Yeah, I think uh, well, a lot of parents believe that, you know, the average salary of a teacher in Ontario is $93,000 a year and that they are compensated appropriately.
1: Okay, Ron, thanks. But there are fewer people, according to uh, the DART poll, who believe That it is about uh, money, which is what the government's saying. Anyway, I'm sure that
4: we will. It's all in the question of the poll. (laughs) Yeah, we. I.
1: I. I hope we won't have to be debating this soon, but I bet we will. We're basically out of time. Let's uh, go around the table. Give you 20 seconds each, starting with John.
4: Well, I'm looking forward to the legislature coming back into um, into play uh, after the Family Day weekend. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the government plays out on the school issue, but also more importantly, the economy. I think that uh, Minister Rod Phillips and, and, uh, uh, and the work that he's been doing on the, on the budget and on the economic statements has been solid. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of that happening over the course of the next number of months.
2: Adrian. I think uh, one of the topics on our panel we were going to touch on was the city potential yes, strike at the city. So there. I'm going to I'm going to touch on that for my 20 seconds. the The clock is ticking. The uh, deadline is now been put forward by the February 27th. Um, you know, I think that if there is going to be a strike, it's outside workers. It should happen now. So we do not want to have a repeat of what happened in 2009. Undead David Miller. And if there's anything um, your listeners should remember, that Jobs for Life is still still very much a real issue at City Hall even though um, the former Ford government and and the and the current Tory uh, administration has wrestled the unions to the ceiling to try to get that away um, the the unions are continuing to to hang on to that in terms of their job security and it puts uh, uh, challenge and pressure on property taxpayers unduly okay Charles
3: New Hampshire New Hampshire, New Hampshire, New Hampshire. Just like last week was Iowa, Iowa, Iowa. I mean, Democrats in the key, in that state are on the verge of uh, choosing Bernie Sanders as the first place finisher. It the, the race for the Democratic nomination is becoming just incredibly fascinating, um, more so than we've seen for a long time. Notwithstanding the battle between uh, Obama and Hillary back in two thousand and eight, uh, and you know, will Joe Biden survive to South Carolina? You know, because. Bernie if Bernie wins New Hampshire, he's going to win Nevada as well, and uh, it starts to get very interesting. And in the wings, Michael Bloomberg just mm-hmm. and
4: at least he'll get the results tonight. <laughs> we hope. We'll, we'll, see. See. we'll, we'll see. see.
0: We'll see.
3: We the hope. Ontario Liberal Party did a much better job than Democrats in Iowa. In o- 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 Iowa.
1: Okay, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much, John Capobianco, John Capobianco, Adrian Batra, and Charles Bird.